0: to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, Dee Brown. My next guest is a real estate executive and developer who was born in West Point, Mississippi. He has been featured on U.S. News, History Makers, and Time Magazine, just to name a few. He is a successful real estate developer that President Bill Clinton named a visionary in public housing. His rise to success includes him serving as the chairman and managing director of Chicago Public Housing Authority. Please welcome to Self Made, Vincent Lane. Vince I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. No absolutely. So Vince you are um, no pun intended you're a history maker (laughs) and uh, your accolades um, you know can just go on and on. So I'm going to just kind of jump into it and to set the stage I want to uh, tell the viewers about your journey. Okay. Uh, You were born in uh, Moss Point, Mississippi. West Point, Point, Mississippi. Uh, Moved to Chicago uh, at an early age. Three um, months old. Three months old and grew up on the Chicago north side. South side actually in Woodla... in uh, uh, Bridgeport. Bridgeport, okay. So talk to us about your early years in Chicago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well the early years, uh, my dad uh, worked for 37 years at a smelting plant on the far south side and my mom was a house uh, mother, and, and she worked part-time occasionally, but we went to, um, we lived across the street from Wentworth Gardens, which is a public housing complex. Not the high-rise, but a nice low-rise, well-kept lawns, everything else. And so that actually led me to uh, attend, we had, I went to grammar school at Robert S. Abbott. Then I went to technical high school, Mm -hmm. Tilden Tech, and then went on to serve my first year at the University of Illinois in electrical engineering. That brought me, since I got married at 19, to say, I can't do a four-year college here at the University of Illinois. At the time, it was at Navy Pier and only was a two-year school. So I went to Roosevelt uh, University and uh, majored in finance and accounting. And then I got an MBA from the University of Chicago after working and going to school for many, many years. But now your mom was an entrepreneur, right? My mother was, I guess that's where I got it. (laughs) It's in your blood. (laughs) We moved from um, Thirty-seventh and Wentworth, our original address across from public housing, and bought. She bought a two-flat, and then she bought a three-flat, and then she bought a four-flat, and in between. My she she was raised in Mississippi, of course, right. and my grandfather, cooked barbecue for all of the white. Homeowners in in Clay County, and uh, she she and her brothers started a barbecue restaurant, and then she went and started a uh, a tavern, and she operated a successful tavern on the South Side for twelve years.
0: Now, do you think that your mom's ventures influenced your decision to be an entrepreneur?
1: Absolutely. i uh, I have not had a job since 1971.
0: <laughs> That's the year I was
1: born. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I'll be 80 next month. So it's it'll been, it'll been a long time I've been working without uh, having a job.
0: Right. Well, interestingly enough, I've never he- I've never held a job.
1: Oh, wow. I've
0: never, I've always worked for myself. So, um, I've, al- I've always eaten what I've killed. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. But now you have been a very successful real estate developer, uh, developing projects you know, all over the country. What led to you uh, becoming interested in real estate?
1: I guess um, I'd been the first black controller about Sinai Hospital in Chicago uh, in 1998. I was approached by a uh, not-for-profit in 1971, the Woodlawn Community Development Corporation, who was affiliated with the Woodlawn Organization, and they were trying, the Ford Foundation was trying to give the Woodlawn Organization a million dollars a year for 10 years to carry out economic development. And I was approached by the head of the uh, co-op bank in New York. And so I was interviewed by Bishop Arthur M. Brazier, and we hit it off. I had never knew anything about real estate, didn't know anything about politics. But I thought with my background, I could be make an impact. Right. And I did it. And um, so when I went to uh, the on Community Development Corp with that million dollars a year for 10 years of, with Ford, we developed in four years almost 1,400 units of housing, amazing. A amazing. supermarket, a gas station, uh, it, and we got under construction with a three hundred and fifteen-unit uh, mixed-income housing complex, which is now uh, sitting across the street from the Obama Presidential Center.
0: Amazing, Vince. That's, um, I wanted to ask you this question: Do you think that your your time in college, your 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 undergraduate and graduate studies, helped prepare you for that uh, career? in entrepreneurship?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And I think the real, the the real thing that got me involved was watching public housing being built. The uh, Robert Taylor Homes, which is the largest public housing complex ever built in America. And uh, it was nice at first, but Over the years, it became a total, total disaster. And so coming to Woodlawn, which was, uh, the the, the community was overrun by the Blackstone Rangers. A lot of fires uh, during the uh, Martin Luther King uh, riots. uh, All of the white, property owners abandoned the community and we were left with hundreds of acres of vacant land. And that was an opportunity for Bishop Brazier and the rest of the people in the community. We had 100 block clubs established in the community and we made, put together, planning efforts year after year from 1971 till today. And that community now is about to take off. Bishop Brazier passed away, and his son, Byron Brazier, Dr. Uh, Byron Brazier... the yeah, pleasure meeting him. He's now announced a plan to build a 900-unit complex on land that the church owns around, around his church.
0: So Vince, now you've had a storied career. You, you have the honor of being the first individual to serve as both the executive director and chairman of the Chicago Housing Authority.
1: That's never happened be- before and it hasn't happened since then.
0: Talk to me about your time at the Housing Authority. <laughs> <laughs> well... And how did the appointment come about as well?
1: Well, I was uh, I was chairing a a, a um, public housing committee at the Metropolitan Planning Council, and um, Harold Washington was the first Black mayor of Chicago. He passed away, and when he passed away, they elected. Eugene Sawyer as mayor. He's African-American as well. Well, he, um, he wanted to do something about public housing. And we had had, oh, seven or eight Housing Authority directors over the last five years. So it was, the Housing Authority was a disaster. Um, he, a nominated ex-governor Richard Ogilvie to be the chairman of the CHA. In I was I will never forget it. I was in New York, and I got a phone call. And they said Governor Ogilvie has had a heart attack and he's passed away. Well, you know, that was the end of that Cinderella story. And so uh, Mayor Sawyer and uh, other people with the Metropolitan Planning Council approached me and said, Vince, well, you've been building housing with HUD, hundreds, hundreds of units of housing. Uh, Why don't you, can you take a crack at it? I did it. I said, being African-American and watching Wentworth Gardens, a nice complex, watching Robert Taylor come up, gang infested, watching the Blackstone Rangers destroy the community of Woodlawn, I said, I'm willing to do it. And I, but I said, I must warn you, Mayor Sawyer, I'm not gonna do what the last seven or eight have done in the last five years because if I take this on, I really want to make change. And so I will ruffle many feathers. I started out the first week that I was in office, a local West Side community leader, uh, leader said, called me and said, Vince, Vince, you gotta do something. They just firebombed the uh lady's apartment with a small child in it, and she's seriously injured. Uh, what can you do? Of course, I wasn't, I wasn't in the army. I wasn't a policeman. Right. <laughs> I said, well, let me first go there and see what's going on. When I went to the complex, it was Rockwell Glar- Gardens. It was Total disarray. Gangs controlled everything. And I said, this has to end. How can I begin to do anything in public housing when the tenants have to sleep in their bathtubs in order to keep from being shot? Right. Just on a whim and gut, growing up in Chicago, I said, we got to get the violence and public safety in place before I can make any serious changes. That happened. I convinced Jack Kemp when he was secretary of HUD to uh, establish a police department working with uh, Governor Jim Thompson and the mayor. We got it funded by HUD. We set up a police department and that police department cut down murders. We had 160 murders the year I started. And when we set up the police department, it went down to 60 murders. So I think we made an effort. But the key was the tenants. I said, the tenants, can, they're living here. Why should they have an impact here? So we set up 22 uh, tenant, resident tenant organizations, and they worked with the police department that we set up, and they patrol and kept the peace. Really? (laughs) The tenants kept the peace.
0: That's amazing. Now, you were also appointed by George H.W. Bush to chair the Congressional Committee on Severely Distressed Public Housing. Tell me about that appointment and how, from that appointment, public housing changed around the country.
1: Well, the, President Bush appointed me because Jack Kemp was so impressed with what I had accomplished One of the things with my real estate background that I said, we need to have housing, public housing that poor people can live in, not housing for poor people. And so we took two high rises on the lakefront at at, uh, Oakwood Boulevard in Chicago and we had we, I had my own money, so I didn't have to rely on anybody. We rehabbed two high-rises, about 400, 400 units, and we rehabbed them to market standards. You know, public housing before that didn't have showers. They didn't have... Uh, uh, many blinds, they didn't have air conditioning. I mean, it was pretty sorry. So once we rehabbed those high-rise buildings, we had to get a law passed to permit us to move 50% of the working people into those buildings, and 50% were public housing residents. That was... I believe the major impetus for creating mixed income housing. And that's when President uh, Bush appointed me to co chair the Commission on Severely Dispressed Public Housing along with Congressman Green. But unfortunately, Congressman Green was swamped and he never attended a meeting. So I charged ahead and out of that commission which lasted about 10 months, President Bush funded the first HOPE 6 program, which was the mixed income program, tearing down or rehabbing bad public housing and up to building them to normal standards and then moving incomes, high-income people, to live with low-income people. And that $700 million in 1991 ballooned to billions and was funded up until the last year of the Obama administration when they implemented Choice Neighborhoods.
0: That's amazing. And that was a significant impact on the public housing uh, market around the the country Um, because now, as you know, mixed income communities are everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But during your time at the housing authority, uh, you conducted an operation called Clean Sweep. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: (laughs) Well, that was as a result of that initial uh, firebombing of that apartment in Rockwell Gardens. I got with the police chief, he was African-American, Leroy Martin. And I said, Leroy, what, what can we do? We got to do something. This is, you know, people sleeping in bathtubs. I said, if you work with me, I'll try to leverage some resources, put them together. And if you back me up, maybe we can make a difference. And so in my mind, I don't know where it came from, but I said, we're going to take this because I believe in doing something. When you do something, you get started. You put one foot in front of the other, you keep going. There was a terrible building at 2822 Calumet and it was just horrendous. I said, met with Leroy and I said, and. Then, I pulled in my staff and I said, we're going to take this building over. And, well, oh, how are you going to do that? <laughs> I said, we're going to, I'm not going to tell anybody where we're going, but we're going to 2822 Calumet at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And Superintendent Martin and his CPD officers are going to be going with us. And all of my maintenance people will be going with us. And I've hired uh, private security all set to go. And we're going to surround that building. And we're going to go from the top floor down to the bottom floor. We're going to inspect every unit for uh, emergency maintenance issues. And when we finish going through the building, we're going to build lobbies on the building. And that's important because normal high-rises have lobbies. Right. Public housing high-rises, none of them had lobbies that were wide open to anybody. So by the end of that day, we cleaned out the building. When we drove up, it was a caravan of CHA workers and the police department. Once we got to the building, you know they have lookouts, the young guys have lookouts. Guns and drugs rained down from the building <laughs> and, because they knew we were coming. So at the end of the day, We had control of the building. We had security. We were building lobbies uh, that were on construction, finished them in about a week. And the security, we set up um, sign-in logs and set times for the people to be out of the building. The the visitors who were not living there, there was time for them to leave. Well, we were very successful. The tenants loved it, but then the ACLU sued me.
0: <laughs> Vince, that's uh that's an amazing story. Um I, I felt like I was watching the show instead of being the host. <laughs> <laughs> I was engaged. <laughs> but you've had a storied career. So I just want to know from you, what do you feel like your biggest accomplishment has
1: been? Well, I think um, mixed income housing. I mean, that really is, is the biggest accomplishment. But housing... That poor people can live in, not housing for poor people, and that is taking place, 1981 somehow. Somehow, I can't even remember how I got it. I was general partner, made general partner of 1,100 units of public house, of housing, HUD, and rural development housing in Mississippi. Now, that was amazing <laughs> when when you know I was going to Mississippi in the summers and we had to drive, couldn't stop because you couldn't stay at a hotel. We had white and black water fountains. I couldn't go to the movie theater unless I went to the balcony. And it was just amazing to me how that occurred and it was due to that first getting involved in the Woodlawn community uh, and building uh, multifamily, affordable housing.
0: You know, that seemed like, um, as I listened to your story, it seemed like a pivotal uh, point uh, in, your, in your life and your career. Uh, you, were, you were featured on History Makers mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, how did you feel about that honor?
1: I was it just blew me away because I, you know, just like I felt about once I realized I'm the general partner of 1100 units in Mississippi. I said, well, this can't be. (laughs) And, And growing up at 37th and Wentworth, and that was in the Bridgeport neighborhood, which was the Daly neighborhood, Mayor Daly. It was the Bridgeport ward, the 11th ward. I said, how could I now be a history maker when my daddy was at a fourth grade education and my mother ran a bar and, and was a apartment. I, I was just blown away. It was really an honor.
0: Well Vince, you know what they say, every day ordinary people do extraordinary things <laughs> and that's why we have this show, Self Made, to feature guys like you who have done just that. And I would like to just thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you are semi-retired, but you are never fully retired. But I know you're semi-retired, and I appreciate you being on the show, Vince. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to my viewers, thank you for watching. And remember, without you, there's no me.